0: Welcome back to part two of our episode two with Susan Marriott. I've already learned so much from your sharing in part one, Susan. Now maybe let's talk a bit about your current role. How does your day look like as a team leader in a women counseling program?
1: Yes, definitely, Erica. Thank you. Um, so in my current role, um, yeah, I mean every day is a bit different in some ways. But what what a typical day can look like is. That I'll be in a couple of meetings, which of course are all, you know, tend to be online these days, <laughs> even um, now that lockdown has lifted because, um, because I work in a hospital setting. Um, we're quite, caught, it's called a sensitive setting and we're quite cautious um, about group meetings. So we still meet online for now. Um, And that could be with a particular working group where we're working on an issue together, or um, you know, developing new guidelines um, and or reviewing um, processes. Um, Just depend like you know, a Maram working group, Maram alignment working group, for example, is one of my working groups. Um, So there'll be a couple of meetings for sure. Um, One of those might be also providing supervision. Um, to to one of my staff I supervise a lot of staff um, that is often online but can be um, also in person Um, I'll be nutting out a roster um, because we um, provide a helpline Um, it's shift work and there's a roster and um, you know there's always gaps popping up and people you know, either becoming unwell or being exposed, having a COVID exposure, <laughs> you know, takes them off the roster for a number of days. So, um, you know, um, I actually have um, a senior on my team who manages the roster most of the time, but um, but she and I between us um, can be nutting that out. Um I'll be, you know, if it's timesheet day, I'll be signing off a lot of timesheets and making sure they get to payroll, hoping I don't miss anyone. Um, and I might be following up with a mental health team or another provider regarding um, perhaps a high-risk caller or client um, from the, the, um, the evening before that might have come through on our helpline. Um, so I provide the daytime follow up for our, you know, more concerning callers or high risk um, callers. Um, And I also often are having quick and focused hallway meetings with my manager, (laughs) Um, just, you know, catching up about a thousand different things. Mm -hmm. Um, I walk around a hospital, I try to get some, you know, exercise in that way, go and get my coffee, um and then as my staff come in for the afternoon shift i'll be um, saying hi to them and checking in with them um, and having a little chat making sure they're good for the night and then i'll be trying hard to go home on time
2: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for walking us through what your day-to-day activity looks like would you like to share some of your highlights of your social work career Since you have got some vast experience, I'm sure you have many, many highlights to share. Is there anything in particular or any specific highlight that you would like to share with us?
1: Oh, yes. You're (laughs) you're right, Veronica. Many, many. And, you know, I honestly do love this work. And, um, you know, I've stuck at it so long because I do love it. And even though um, often you feel like you're not making a lot of progress with a particular client. Um, there are often small gains and small wins and we really have to recognise those and and kind of feed mm-hmm. that back to the client as well. Um, but, but, yeah, some of the highlights, um, I guess if I think about um, currently with our helpline, I mean, I do do the odd shift on the helpline as well. And... Um, Hearing at the end of a call that the caller, you know, feels supported and informed, um, and has a next step following, you know, what has often been a traumatic event in their life, um, you know, that that's that's just so rewarding to know that I've listened, I've supported, I've taken the time to understand who is this person and what what do they need right now. Mm. Um, and being able to yeah, give them the information, give, make a referral, um, give them validation about what they're going through um, and um, giving them space to speak um, is, um, you know, and knowing that, that because of that, they feel, you know, um, heard and they feel like they can take that next step. Yeah. Um that's that's definitely something I, I really value. It doesn't happen in every call or every client interaction. I, I just want to put it out there, but mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's um I guess you know you get better at your craft over the years and um you know hopefully you are hearing that from clients. Mm-hmm. Um so um and also in a similar way, I mean. In my private practice I've had some fairly long-term clients the longest um, client I saw was over seven years mm-hmm. um, and um, that wasn't every week by any means um, and by the end of our time together that client was seeing me um, sort of monthly or five weekly via telehealth mm-hmm. um, but I managed to finish with that client earlier this year and We had quite a journey together, as you can imagine, and um, it was a very complex case and I was, you know, very privileged to stay engaged with him all that time and to um, see that person progress and strengthen and be able to... um, you know, I guess, just live a normal life again, you know, after uh, years of struggling with mental health issues. Mm. And, and also that, that, that client was happy for us to finish, you know, because you, you never want to kind of foster dependency with the client. And, and, you know, long term psychotherapy, you really have to constantly review and make sure is this what the client needs um, or am I, you know, over-attached to this person or what's going on? Um, and so, you know, I guess the, what what the highlight was to see that person safe in their life and stable and to um, see the progress they had made, um, which, you know, I certainly can't take all the credit for. I, I provided a space and... and a supportive space and a therapeutic relationship. But, you know, that client did the hard yards um, in their own life. Um, So so that's been very rewarding. Um, Also mentoring staff and seeing them grow in the work over time, particularly the newer counsellors and social workers and, and how they grow and feel more confident in different aspects of the work. Mm. um and um you know things like this year our program went through accreditation um and it happens every three years and um you know I'd only been there sort of three or four months before we jumped into that accreditation week and um it was there was a lot of work involved but we passed with a glowing report and Mm. I was, you know, very proud of the work that the, the, the team were doing and the quality of the program, um, you know, um, that, that was reflected in the accreditation. So so they were just kind of a, a few things that I picked out um, and, yeah, many other highlights, um, but... Um, I think you're going to get on to there's also challenges as well, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're spot on. This is our next question. So as a social worker, there are challenges that come with the role. Um, would you mind sharing some of the challenges that you might have faced and how did you cope with them?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's tricky. It's like this is such a big topic too. And it's kind of like, you know, picking out a few. What do I say? Yeah. Um, I think one of the challenges I've come up across because I have worked in many different organisations, um, perhaps with different philosophical orientations, is that, you know, I found myself in a position where what I'm being asked to do by management, you know, whatever, the, the, the structure of the organisation, you know, jars with my values as a social worker and, you um, you know as a practitioner um and that's been hard um and you know often through talking and letting people know at meetings or your manager or whatever I've been able to say well look you know this doesn't feel right and this is why it doesn't feel right um but sometimes I've just had to remain silent at meetings because mm-hmm. other people are making decisions and um, you know they have more authority than me mm-hmm. um, you know in one particular organization I, I worked for a, a few things like that happened and ultimately I decided to leave because I could see that my my social work ethics and my values, weren't aligned with what that how that organization is operating you know I mean it's one thing to you know state your organizational values mm-hmm. but sometimes the politics and the dynamics within an organization aren't actually putting that into practice mm-hmm. um, so for me having been in the field a long time I've seen a bit of that and it does happen and I think you have to first use your supervision and your line manager to sort of express that, what what you you don't feel right about or comfortable with and see whether, you know, you've got the wrong take on it or, you know, whether there's other information that's going to help. Um, sometimes it can be great to have external supervision for these sorts of reasons. Um, you know, some in some multidisciplinary teams, your direct line supervisor is not a social worker. They might come from a different discipline and therefore they don't sh- share your sort of theoretical you know training and, and and uh sort of philosophical frameworks or or whatever um and then you know so sometimes it can be good to seek supervision outside of that for your own you know kind of personal and professional growth and support um so those sort of challenges um I've, you know, I've been pretty good overall, um, uh, you know, looking after personal worker safety issues. Um, but a couple of times I've ended up in, when I did, when I did community social work in New Zealand, um, I was, you know, one of those social workers that would visit families in their homes. And, and we were, we're like, um, what are they called? Family services practitioners here. So not child protection, but in communication with child protection because this family needs a bit of support and guidance and education around parenting and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, And a couple of times in New Zealand, I'd be working um, with um, mothers and children um, where the father of that family was a gang member. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've heard much about the the gangs in uh, New Zealand, Um, that um uh yeah they're they're basically criminal networks Mm -hmm. um and um so a couple of times i found myself in the home talking to mum it's all going well and then dad will come home and sort of basically say well who are you and um I just say, oh hi I'm Susan I'm just a support worker from the local family centre you know kind of thing and um And usually they're fine. They just, you know, they're a bit, they're very cautious, obviously, and suspicious about who comes into their home. And, um, you know, I just tried to be just friendly and calm. And, you know, once they realized I wasn't a threat, it was okay. But there were a couple of situations like that that Mm. I then had to go back and review with my manager about, okay, how can I do this in a different way, you know, that um where everybody feels safe and um yeah and I think we always have to pay attention to that you know outreach work can be a bit tricky but you can meet someone in the community like at a local community health center or in the park with their children playing on the playground or something like that you know so there's always ways around it um so a few sort of challenges like that and um And I think then I've had one experience of burnout. Um, And as we all know, burnout is accumulation of stress, too much stress that your body and your brain can't handle. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so, you know, I guess I saw the signs of it building up, but I was pushing through, trying to keep going, busy caseload. Um, And then, you know, my, my health just went down and, um, you know, I felt the anxiety, I felt the the panic. I have, I've had a couple of panic episodes um, in this type of situation and also, um, you know, got sick physically. So so what I learned from that was recognise the signs early and, and we're all different in what signs show up. You know, some people might break out in eczema or start um you know drinking a lot of coffee or eating sweet foods or something you know we it's about learning to know yourself and what your kind of early warning signs are and having obviously that good self-care in place that you revert back to or ramp up when you are going through a period of of um you know quite stressful work period Um, So I suppose, yeah, I suppose those are the sorts of challenges that I've faced, that I've got through. Um, Yeah, and uh, it's all all good learning, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your challenges that you have faced and how you've actually coped with all of that, and especially the point that you've also brought up about burnout And I think it's really important that you've mentioned about recognizing the signs that actually show up. Like even if it's something small or big, it is important to recognize how stress and burnout affects us. Most importantly, also having the proper self-care and utilizing supervision and also external supervision for both our personal and professional growth. So thank you so much for sharing how you have coped with all of your challenges, Susan. So the next part we would like to hear from you is what the best part of being a social worker has been for you. Yeah, thanks Veronica. I mean, I I really love the ethics of this profession,
1: um, the strong social justice um, value, um, human rights and equality values, you know, that run right through the work um, and through our code of ethics. And, you know, um, I'm sure you know all the new graduates and students have had that in their training and it's good to go back sometimes when you've been working out in the field a couple of you know years or so and go back and review the ethics um but I think that's a lot a lot of what you know attracts us to being social workers um I do love the flexibility and the scope of all the jobs you can do as a social worker Um, I think that, you know, social workers get a wide range of skills and approaches within their training, um, and that that really means that we have, um, you know, good skill sets in in many different roles, Um, whereas other sorts of, you know, training might be quite specialised. And, you know, as social workers, we're encouraged to ask the hard questions. Um, and and I've certainly done that (laughs) It hasn't always been popular but I you know when it when it comes to you know a client's well-being and progress that's that's kind of where my loyalties lie you know Um, and and I'm doing it for the client and um, you know and and it's been helpful to Uh, you know, sometimes be the devil's advocate in some of those team meetings um, when you're reviewing a case. Um, uh, I also, yeah, like that social work approach around, as I mentioned earlier, about seeing a person's challenges in an ecological way, um, as in the person is not the problem, um, but how society blocks or mistreats them is the problem. And um, that's, you know, we bring that understanding to our client situations. Um, And we're not an over-regulated profession like some of the other helping professions. Um, And I think this gives us more freedom to be innovative. Um, So, you know, I like those sort of things.
0: Yeah, definitely. Social work approach, values, and ethics are also things that attract me to this field. Thanks for sharing with us what the best part of being a social worker has been for you, Susan. As we are approaching the end of this interview, are there any words of encouragement or advice that you would like to give to our listeners?
1: Yeah, thank you. Erica, yeah, it's a good good one to sort of finish off the interview on, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, they, I did think about this question and and wrote down some key things because you know there's so much you can say when you've been doing this thirty odd years, but you know I I often I thought about. You know what? What would I have liked someone to tell me when I started <laughs> you know, on this career? And so I've just jotted down a few things, um, and I'll be I'll be succinct with them. Um, but number one, always back yourself and follow your passion, okay? Yeah. Um, because you know that's what gives us the energy to keep going in this work. Yeah. Um, but keep an open mind too. Because we may be seeing a situation um, in a particular way um, that's either not helpful or, you know, there's bits of information we don't have. Um, So, yep, you know, follow your passion in the work and back yourself, um, you know, but but keep that open mind and be curious about why people do what they do. Um, Because that's one of the things I find fascinating about uh, working with people is, you know human behavior and um how people you know might manage and cope in a situation and and there can be sort of temporary coping strategies um that maybe aren't so healthy but it got them through a really difficult time and um and then you know they develop with with support or even without support they might develop more um you know kind of healthy coping strategies and and positive behaviours, but just come from a place of curiosity, never judgment, you know, that's really important. Be curious. Um, uh, Next one I'd say is it's okay to have many different paths in your career and short-term roles, as I've said, you know, that's okay if if that works for you. Um, Next, surround yourself with good mentors and always seek supervision. Okay, this is this is like the lifeline for social workers and counsellors and so on, um, many other helping professionals, like psychologists. Um, the work is stressful. Um, we do expose ourselves to vicarious trauma and, and other um, difficulties because of the nature of the work. And supervision is going to be your space to be supportive, to process stuff and to get... Um, information and and advice um, and it will keep you saying you know that's what i've found i've never i've never bumped off supervision um, i've always if i've been somewhere where supervision isn't sort of readily offered i have i have asked for it and kept asking for it <laughs> until i get it um it, it really is very important um, third next one number four Build healthy relationships with your team members, okay, because they're your support network in any program. Um, Also with your clients, obviously, because if you don't build that rapport and that respectful relationship in the beginning, you're really not going to be able to do effective work with Mm. that client. Um, And also um, with the stakeholders, the communities that you're working with on any particular program or project, Um, And if you put energy into that in the beginning, from that base, anything is possible. You know, I truly believe that. And I've done quite a bit of community development and community projects along the way as well. And by taking the time to getting to know those communities and and how they think and what what they understand around this issue, it's really meant that the project's been a lot more successful. Um, So building those healthy relationships. And number five is understand your worth, okay? Don't undervalue what you do. Mm. And and where this kind of comes to the surface a bit is in private practice. Um, Like the way the Medicare rebate that um, is offered to mental health social workers Mm. is not enough to cover the cost of the session. Mm. So, you know, often social workers that start out with private counselling um, work, they might think they have to bulk bill clients or um, something along those lines, but you can't actually run a business that way. And um, and I see it as sort of in a way undervaluing the profession and, and, and what we bring to this work. Um, and also in private practice, what I have found that um, if I have a client on a healthcare card, they, they can get the Medicare rebate to cover part of the cost, but I always discuss with them a small gap fee um, and most people can pay that, you know, I'm talking like $20, maybe a session, um, depending on their income. And what I have found is that if they actually invest that money in their therapy, they are more likely to turn up and more likely to really fully engage and get the value out of it. Yeah. Um, and, and we sort of, you know, often come from a charitable place in social work and we think, oh, these people were on Centrelink pensions, they they, you know, couldn't afford to pay for their counselling. But... I I don't agree with that approach. I think the more that they are invested, and it's got to be something they can afford, um, but they can also go off to community health and access free counselling there. So it's, you know, I guess it's all in that um, kind of um, message of don't undervalue what you do and the work you do. Um, And then the next point, I want to share a gem from a supervisor I worked with um, and I wish I'd known this much earlier in my, my profession. I was about, probably about 10 years in or something when I had this supervisor mm-hmm. and we I was working in family violence and, and there were quite traumatic stories going on, um, you know, from clients telling you this story. And, and what my supervisor told me was that when a client is telling you their traumatic story, try very hard not to picture the image in your mind okay of course we take notes we'll take details as part of an assessment we'll write things down but try not to picture that story of what that person went through whether that's a bushfire or family violence or you know a horrible accident um because many of us are visual thinkers and learners
2: mm-hmm. um
1: and once you've got that image in your head mm-hmm. it's really hard to get rid of you know <laughs> Um, and it's it will stay with you much longer than if you're just kind of jot, jotting down notes on a page sort of thing. And, and once I actually understood that and started practicing it, um, I think that was really key for me working doing the trauma work that I do. One of the one of the key self care things mm. um, was that I didn't visualize what that person had been through. It didn't run like a movie in my head. And therefore, it was easy for me to shut my notebook, you know, leave my work at the end of the day and say, that's not my story, that's, that's her story. Um, and, and I can leave that behind my work is done for today. Um, so, yeah, that was something that I personally found really helpful. Um, and that kind of leads me on to self-care, which is, you know, a topic I talk about constantly <laughs> to staff and my supervisees. And, you know, um, you know, having a self-care routine, little things you do every day and then once a week and once a month, you know, like once a month, I always get a massage. That's my self-care, you know, thing that I spend money on once a month and it's just worth every dollar. Um, but, you know, there are little things you can do every day, you know, like go for a walk, do a meditation, um, you know, eat healthy food. Um, talk to a colleague that can really assist you to process and let go of the stresses of the work. Yeah. Um, and I believe, you know, daily self care is the difference between thriving and burnout. Yeah. And I know the times where I have burned out, the, the once or come close to it, um, I, my self care had really dropped down um, by that stage. So develop your own routine and follow it no matter what. Don't compromise on that, okay? And and there'll be different things for different people. Um, So there's not one self-care formula that will work for everybody. Um, And then finally, um, just a a note about um, keep your case notes brief and factual, okay? We're going to write a lot of case notes in our career as a social worker. Yeah. And, you know, no one's ever going to really read your notes in great detail to assess your writing style. They just want the facts, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they pick up that client's file or, you know, the client is passed on to the next person. They just need to know the facts of the the contact, the interaction, the risk assessment and so on. Um, so just keep your notes as brief as possible because, I, I you know, I've been you know, trapped in this in the past and, and seeing other social workers who stay back, you know, after knockoff time to finish off notes and you know, sure, sometimes you have to do that with urgent notes. Um, but sometimes you can complete non urgent notes, you know, the next day or whatever. But what really helps is just to keep them brief and, and don't um you know write in a long-winded way because um you know you only need to get the facts down so um yeah so those are my you know eight hot
2: tips for social
1: workers
2: (laughs) (laughs) wow that is such an amazing eight tips you've given us personally for me and for our listeners as well I'm sure it is something we can practice and implement in our own careers as the tips are very practical
0: yeah exactly yeah thank you for sharing Uh,
2: you're very welcome you're
1: very
0: welcome
1: um Yeah, and it's lovely to have the space to discuss these things. And, you know, I hope this podcast goes out far and wide to all those (laughs) new emerging social workers out there.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Susan. I hope our listeners have enjoyed our podcast so far. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It was really a deep and insightful conversation.
1: Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Erica and Veronica. And thank you for what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's a brilliant idea. You know, podcasts are all the go at the moment. I have my own favourite podcast that I listen to and I'm definitely a follower on this one. And, um, And I just want to wish everybody you know, a very happy new year in 2022. Gosh, let's hope that it's quite different to 2020 and 21. Um, I guess, you know, we're still we're still kind of learning to live with the virus, but um, I certainly, you know, want to send best wishes to all the social workers out there. And um, I hope you get a bit of a break over summer and, you know, come back sort of refreshed for the year ahead um so all the best to everyone and uh thanks for having me on ladies this is this has been a lot of fun actually
2: it's (laughs) our pleasure for having you thank you so much susan thank you so much we
0: hope you have enjoyed this episode thank you for tuning in and supporting our podcast don't forget to subscribe to our Apple Podcast, Spotify and YouTube channel and turn on the notification of our channel so that you won't miss out on the latest episodes. If you enjoy this podcast, feel free to leave a 5-star rating or a review. It will really help this podcast to reach more people. Follow and get in touch with us on our Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Tune in once every two months to listen to us and experienced social workers talking about all things related to social work. Take care and stay safe.